welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we are going to have a reality check for America because that's what my guest, um, Judge Judge Jeanine Pirro, uh, is giving America with her new book, which is already a number one New York Times bestseller. It's called Liars, Leakers, and Liberals, The Case Against the Anti-Trump Conspiracy. And Judge Janine has been on a tear <laughs> um, tr- prom- promoting this book, and you can hear from her voice. But, she, you know, that's, I think that's one of the things um, that I am most impressed with, uh, with you, that you, you give your all and, um, about because you stand for this. And just let me quickly tell you that my listeners will remember the, um, that I, before the 2016 t- uh, election, I was, ha- I was talking all about um, why, why they should elect Donald Trump. I had on people who um, you know, wrote anti-Hillary books like Clinton's Women uh, and so on. So I have been doing my best. Of course, it doesn't uh, compare with the, what you've been doing. But I think we both have this same um, innate uh, what desire to get people to pay attention to the most important things that are facing America. So tell us about... Um, what this has been like for you. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on your show, and, and I apologize to your listeners, and I'd love to be on your couch right now, but I've been working, <laughs> I'll continue to work <laughs> for the next few weeks. <laughs> Excuse me. But what, what I think is important is that, you know, a lot of people just think that America, you know, runs on its own, and all will be well, you know, and that is a very, very juvenile way of looking at things. Because what happened in this last election is Americans instinctively understood that something was wrong. And that's why they voted in the outsider president. That's why uh, they decided that, you know, politics as usual wasn't going to work anymore. They watched people go to Washington with mediocre means and they come out with boatloads of money for them or, or their family members. And people like you and me uh, end up, um, doctor, they end up, trying to convince other people that, you know, mm. all is not well based on the facts. I'm not trying to change anyone's mind. Uh, I just want you to listen to the facts. If you can uh, listen to them and I change your mind, great. But if you're not going to change your mind, then listen. And unfortunately in America, what has happened is the left is, is so furious and so outraged at the election of this man that they will do anything they can to shut down people on the right. Absolutely. And, you know, it's so ironic uh, as a psychiatrist. I mean, I see all these things, Trump anxiety disorder, Trump derangement syndrome, <laughs> um, you know, the case, the dangerous case of Donald Trump. I mean, it, you know, it's, um, it's so ironic because people who are trying to say that he's crazy, and this is one of the things that, ju- that drives me crazy the most, um, because it's very scary to think that all these mental health professionals who obviously need mental health themselves um, are, are saying that about our president and, and, um, and not recognizing the problems in themselves, their desire for narciss- their narcissistic tendencies and all of that, wanting media attention and everything. But, yes, well, you know, it, there are so many things, as you point out in, your, in the book, um, there are so many things against President Trump that to say that he has some kind of mental illness when he has been able to accomplish so much with all of these things against him. Well, yeah, and and that is the crucial point that I talk about in Liars, Leakers, and Liberals. I mean, you've got a president who faces incoming every day. And look, you're a psychiatrist. You know better than anyone how tough it is to survive in stress periods uh, while everyone is hitting you, everyone. And the man continues to deliver. But I've known the man for over 25 years. And uh, our children were about the same age growing up. And he is a force of nature. He is a man who can go into a dental alliance and come out with a suit and tie straight and a lion's head for the library. 
I mean, he is an unbelievable person who is committed to this country. And they can say whatever they want, but no one could have done what he has done in a year and a half. But the sad part is, for someone like myself, look, I've been a prosecutor, a judge, and a district attorney for over three decades. I've run for office five times. I get it. And I know a con when I see it. And the most difficult part of all this was watching the FBI and the veil come down on what was going on in the Department of Justice and the FBI. And as we get these emails and all of these text messages that make it clear that they tried to stop the American people from getting someone in office that they wanted, that to me is sad because Lady Justice should be blind. And they took off the bandages and they wanted Hillary and they wanted to frame Donald Trump in the event as an insurance policy, God forbid, in their mind, or elected president. But the American people are smarter, and we just have to stay determined and vigilant. Because if they have their way, like what happened to me on The View, they won't let you talk. They'll throw you out. They don't want anyone to disagree with them. And we can't let that happen. George Soros, socialists being elected all over the country in local races, Look, Bernie Sanders is a socialist. He, he would have run for yeah. president, but for Hillary Clinton's corrupt yeah. DNC. Yes, and people don't, I, I think a lot of people don't realize just what a dangerous um, position we're in right now, where just like what you're saying, all these people who, it, it's, it's, I think part of the problem is um, for, it's hard for people to understand what you describe in the book as the deep state. That seems like a science fiction thing. It's hard for people yeah. to get their heads around it. You know, is there really such a thing? Could this really be happening in our country? You know, we grew up on the, on the idea that um, sort of a, a, well, it's kind of an illusion at this point, but the idea that, that everything was fair and that every, this, the country was, so, was, you know, really healthy at the time and um, that it was going to stay that way, that America, you know, we don't have to make America great again because, I mean, it's, it's still great. People are under that delusion and um, and people need to wake up to all of these dark forces that are trying, like the people who, who feel entitled to have the government pay for everything. We're on such a precipice, and it, were, it, were it not for Donald Trump, we, we could so easily sink into all of this. Oh, well, there's no question about it. I mean, had, uh, had this president not been elected, uh, things would be very different right now. And that's why everyone has to stay vigilant. But, you, you know, you're right. Everyone just assumes that the country is going to be fine. It'll survive. But what we saw with this uh, election and with Department of Justice officials going to a FISA court to surveil Americans uh, on the campaign of a uh, opposing party with a dossier or a make-believe piece of garbage uh, that was used to convince a judge that, uh, oh, there's got to be a surveillance of this campaign. They weren't surveilling for any Russians. They were surveilling to find out what was going on in the Trump campaign. Yeah, and the yeah. fact that they can't come up with any Russians or any collusion is proof positive of that. You and I both know if there were any collusion uh, or any evidence of collusion, Adam Schiff would have come out with it and leaked it himself. But um, it's not going to happen. And in the meantime, the country has been fractured, and we can't afford this. This country is too precious. We are, we are the, as Ronald Reagan said, you know, the shining city on the hill. And unfortunately, there are some bad actors that I talk about in the book, and I footnote everything, by the way. If anyone's worried, oh, is, you know, is, is this true, that true, everything is footnoted. Uh, mm-hmm. And we've got to come to grips that 2018 is hugely important for this nation to keep it on track. Yes, did you hear, um, this just came out, you probably, I'm sure you probably heard already, you probably are glued to, uh, to the Internet, but about Facebook already finding uh, that there's some intent to, to uh, affect the midterm elections? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Is anyone surprised? I well, mean, you know, but they're going to use whatever they can to try to make sure that, this is a, a country where individuals are, you know, uh, 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 the, the, the deep state and the people there are the ones who are benefiting. 
look, you, you see it in the rhinos in this country. You see it all over the place. In the end, what they want is not for every American to be able to work and pay their taxes. They want a globalist society where people come in and they end up, you know, uh, taking care, we end up taking care of them. We pay our taxes and we pay for their education, their medication, their housing, and we pay for everything for them. Well, you know what? Americans are tired. They're tired of this globalist yes. kind of agenda. And, you know, people telling us, uh, look, you're not a real Christian if you don't, you know, if you don't do this. I mean, that's what Obama said. I mean, give me a break. Um, in the end, uh, we have got to be more vigilant, and we've got to make sure that people get it. And that's why I wrote the book. And I, um, I, I read that you um, wanted to be an attorney since you were six years old. Do you think, I mean, obviously it seems to me that you had that same um, desire, strong desire for justice and to, to make things right in the world from the time that you were six years old. Did you ever, at that time or, or younger than, you know, over the years, did you, uh, before, you know, before your TV shows and your other books and so on, did, did you know that you were heading towards this book, to, towards this point? No, in fact, and I got to tell you, I'm impressed. Just do your homework, doctor. But then again, you're a doctor. So um, uh, the, the truth is, I wanted to be a lawyer from the time I was a kid, very young. And uh, you know, I'm no spring chicken, so everybody used to say, "Oh, don't you want to be a mommy?" And so I thought the two were mutually exclusive for the longest time. But uh, I, you know, I have kids and all that. But in the end, um, I have a great deal of passion. I believe in right and wrong, and I believe in law and order, and I believe that there is a clear line. Now, having spent so many years of my life in the, uh, in the justice system and, you know, fighting for the underdog, fighting for the people who ended up, you know, uh, being victims of crime when they didn't do anything, they didn't ask for it, they didn't deserve it, you become a crusader, you know, and I started the first domestic violence unit in the nation. You know, for battered women, when everybody uh-huh. thought, oh, they like it, they like to get beat. <laughs> so, you, you know, I, I, I'm a fighter. Uh, I worked in a dairy. You know, I grew up in a small town, and, you know, I, I never expected to be in this place. You know, I expected to be a lawyer, and I never expected to be in a position where I could write a book that's on the New York Times bestsellers list. Never. Never. Uh-huh. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I, and I'm from... And very ordinary family, and thank God um, that I have a voice. But more importantly, that I live in America. My dad was a veteran of World War II, and my grandfather too. And our job right now is to try to make sure that we protect this nation because it is sacred, it is beautiful, and there are people who, like the George Soros's of the world who want to destroy it. Yes. Now I know that you. Um uh, that you're trying to save your voice as much as you can, so I won't keep you long. I just want to ask Thank you one you. thing. I want, because I want people to understand, you know, people see you on, on Fox and, and, you know, now with this book and number one bestseller and all of this, um, and they think, oh, what a glorious, you know, life you may lead. But tell us, <laughs> I mean, of course the view, you know, of course the view would probably be the prime example of what I'm going to ask you, but... Um, Tell people, you know, what you have sacrificed to 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 do this. Well, I mean, in other words, of all, like your 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 view, and especially this book, <laughs> is not going to be very popular with a whole segment of the population. And you're having um, uh, the, a backlash. I have a lot of pushback. Yeah, you know, um, I went to town. I must tell you, and uh, I'm not feeling well, and I've been sick for a while. Um, and I went to town because I wanted to get a work uh, for a bedroom. And I always go into town. Uh, I, I believe in helping local merchants, you know. And um, you know, someone there gave me a hard time, and it just took the fun out of it. But it doesn't matter. You know, when people said battered women like being beaten up, and, you know, people said, you know, when I was a young prosecutor, oh, you should get a job. Uh, at prosecuting real crime because I prosecuted cases that where children and women uh, were, were victims. Um, it never bothered me. It doesn't bother me. You know, in the end, you got to stand for something or you stand uh-huh. for nothing. And uh-huh. um, I, I, I just thank God and uh, I just keep moving every day. And 
that's the end of that, Doctor. And one day I want to come back and be on your couch for real so you and I can figure it all out. Okay, that sounds like a date. Well, thank Thank you so much. Judge Janine Perot, again, her book, which is already a New York Times number one bestseller, Liars, Leakers, and Liberals, The Case Against the Anti-Trump Conspiracy. you got to read it. Well, that um, was a a real reality check for America. And her book goes into, you know, you can just imagine, and it is fact-based, um, she talks about all kinds of things, and she supports everything with a, um, there's a, an, a, a, a listing in the back, a citations of all these things where she gets her facts from. These are not, this is not uh, fake news, this is real news, and it's really important for all of us to be aware of it. So why don't we take a break now, um, if my producer Matt is listening. <laughs> Let's take a break before we get to our next segment. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America Business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're having a reality check for America. Uh, in the first segment, we heard from Judge Janine Pirro. Her book is called Liars, Leakers, and Liberals, The Case Against the Anti-Trump Conspiracy. And today, going, going on that same theme, um, my guest is Omar Kadrat, Kadrat um, who is the former political advisor to the NATO ambassador, former Department of Defense counterterrorism prosecutor involved with the USS Cole attack, 9-11 attacks, and at Gitmo. 
and his parents immigrated to the United States from Afghanistan in the 1970s, and he was born and raised in L.A., and he is now, wait for it, (laughs) running for Congress in California's 52nd District. So welcome to the show, Omar. Can I call you Omar? Because I'm going to keep messing up your last name. I'm sorry. Omar is great, Dr. Lehman. Thank you for having me on. My, my mom uh, advised me to change my last name to Kennedy before I decided to run. <laughs> I just couldn't do it. But yeah, Omar is fine. I'm, I'm just going by Omar on this race. Yes, that's right. Actually, Omar's website, which I don't want to forget to mention, is electomar.com. There we go. Okay. So, since I'm a psychiatrist, this is I like to start with people's, um, or talk about people's early childhood. You know, yours, certainly when your parents um, emigrated from Afghanistan, they probably never thought that they would have a son who was running for the U.S. Congress. So, tell us about, and plus, the childhood that you had in L.A. was not exactly conducive, although in a, I guess in a reverse kind of way it was, but um, it wasn't the easiest childhood. Um, so tell us about all of that, the, who, who you were, um, what you're made of, in other words, like you know, all these things that um, contributed to who you are and why now you want to run for Congress. We'll get to the Congress part later, but let's, let's follow your career because as I was starting to tell you before... Um, we went on that uh, I call myself, I have, tra- in fact, I have trademarked <laughs> the name terrorist therapist because after 9-11, um, since I'm born and raised in New York, um, after 9-11, that changed my life and I decided to devote my life to helping people cope with terrorism. And um, so, you know, you, all, of your, you, all of the work that you've been doing um, is, is incredibly fascinating. So let's start with your childhood. All right, Dr. Lieberman. Well, uh, again, thank you for having me on. And, you know, to answer your question directly, what am I made of? Who am I? It's, it's really uh, what my parents made of me. And right. I'll tell you um, who my parents are, and I think that'll yeah. probably address who I am. Yeah. Um, my parents uh, came over from Afghanistan uh, in the early 70s. This is really before there were any issues with the uh, USSR or conflict, um, they were decided Americans, came to the United States for education and um, decided to uh, achieve the American dream. And that's what they did. And so me and my two older sisters um, were born and raised in Los Angeles. Uh, My oldest sister, Miriam, uh, now is a PhD professor. Uh, My other sister, Hasina, is an MBA entrepreneur. And and that's a contrast with, with how we grew up. We grew up in an area that ended up becoming a violent gang neighborhood um, where L.A.'s second city gang injunction took place um, because, you know, things had gotten so out of control. But part of the reason why we were there is because my father insisted on home ownership, which for a lot of us is synonymous with the American dream. And at the time um, where we could afford or where my father could afford to own a home, um, was not, uh, you know, in a neighborhood like uh, Westwood or, or Beverly Hills or, um, or elsewhere. Um, but I will tell you that my experience growing up was probably the most valuable part of what has given me um, the types of skills to address everything that I have in adulthood. Um, and just to kind of bring that to color a little bit, you know, when you grow up in a, in a neighborhood where you understand that there are just actually bad people, there are evil uh-huh. people in the world. There are people who have interests that are um, malign in nature, that there are people that exist to advance the interests of a drug cartel, um, that there are um, people who murder and, uh, you know, get to a point where they are used to doing it. Uh, it, it helps you understand also as an adult when you're dealing with foreign policy, which we could talk about later, that these are sometimes the character traits of some world leaders or some uh, foreign mm. uh, officials that we have to deal with. Um, mm. But, you know, but, but I will tell you, my childhood was great. Okay. Like, I mean, my parents, we had everything we needed. Um, and what the most important thing that I got from my parents was, was a worldview and a mentality. My parents are strong Reagan Republicans. Um, I was instilled with a confidence, me and my two sisters, a confidence that you can overcome any obstacles and that we didn't really have obstacles. 
I mean, the, the mentality that my parents gave us, I didn't really look around and feel like, uh, you know, we were in a doom and gloom situation. So we ended up where we ended up and did achieve the American dream. And there was nothing about it that felt unusual to us. Mm. What I want to do is give that to every other kid in America. And one of the reasons why um, I've gravitated to the party that I'm part of now is because I have um, experienced firsthand the indoctrination um, that me and my sisters didn't go for, which is you're a minority. You're from a lower uh, socioeconomic um, uh, category of America. You're from an economically disadvantaged area. You will fail. We're just going to tell you who to blame and, and why you're going to fail in life. And that's uh-huh. the sort of thing that I am going to, I, I just cannot accept for any of America's children. I, I am watching another generation of so-called minorities and Californians be um, uh, put in a state of paralysis and incapacitated through this indoctrination of uh, failure and somehow turning that into some kind of, you know, identity trait um, for themselves. But, you know, my upbringing, public education system in California, I lived it. I graduated with kids who were, without exaggeration, um, some of them illiterate. Uh, I don't know what kind of future we expect to be able to discuss without talking about public education for our kids. Um, And uh, I came back home, and, and, you know, I'll I'll kind of close the loop with this. I came back home many years later after being an adult and after, you know, joining the Department of Defense and, uh, I'll talk about my career more in depth later, came back to my home state, and I not only have uh, looked at it in a in a state of not having progressed or improved, mm. um, but I saw $1.3 trillion in debt with unfunded liabilities. Public education system still ranked among the worst in America. Um, mm-hmm. You know, our, our so-called minorities not being lifted out of poverty and the same cycle repeating itself, and that's partly why I just couldn't stand on the sidelines. Oh, that's fascinating, and that's, um, you know, yes, I can certainly see why that would drive you. Well, okay, but before, why that would drive you to run for Congress and to try to fix things, but um, how did you, like, when did you start, I mean, take us from from high school to um, doing the first job that you had, which was what, for the Department of Defense, or which, where... Uh, counterterrorism, or what, exa- what What did you do first in terms of work? Okay, so I went to UCLA, and then um, I ended up going to law school on the East Coast and got a couple of master's degrees at Syracuse University. I was a business development and legal affairs consultant, but always felt the need to serve my country in some way, and I was um, very interested in national security and foreign policy. So we were around the time of the um, military surge in Afghanistan, and this was around 2010, I got very lucky and I ended up um, being hired by the Department of Defense. And so my first assignment was I spent 18 months in Afghanistan during the surge as a Department of Defense civilian official where I was an advisor to the International Security Assistance Force Command, um, some of our commanding uh, generals and, and officers, and then was political advisor to the NATO ambassador. Um, this was an extremely fascinating time, uh, and I, I can go into uh, that um, a little well, bit if you'd like. But well, yeah, how, what, had you been, I mean, of course your parents came from there, but had you been to Afghanistan before this, before you were assigned there? You know, I, I did go on one trip um, with a uh, former U.S. ambassador. We were working on developing a uh, counter-narcotics strategy um, for the nation and for the Ministry of Counter-Narcotics and the Attorney General. This was a uh, private um, sector enterprise that um, was doing work with the U.S. government. I took one small trip before that, but um, it was it was essentially I was a I was an adult, and uh, it was a it was an experience, Doctor. I got to tell you, I mean, my understanding of what Afghanistan was like was the only thing that I knew about it was what my parents told me. Yeah. And then when I got there, it was very, it was not exactly what my parents were telling me. It was like, obviously, they, they remember a different time. Uh, and um, it was... Well, what uh, was like, what, what, like, what in particular did you, were you struck by? I was struck by uh, the, um, the degree to which you can see what human beings are capable of doing to one another 
uh, and what happens to a nation when you let foreign terrorist networks uh, come in and take root. Mm. Um, it was a mm-hmm. situation where Afghanistan had been hijacked um, by a foreign terrorist network um, and, of course, through an Afghan uh, foreign proxy, the Taliban, um, that were uh, substantially sort of launched from uh, the foreign nation next door, Pakistan. Uh, and these foreign uh, you know, terrorist networks, they come in, they have a global uh, jihadi agenda. They um, plan and launch attacks um, from a country, and then they provoke a conflict, and they'll just move on to the next place. But mm-hmm. what I saw in Afghanistan was a nation and a society that was nearly destroyed because of foreign uh, regional politics mm. taking hold in, in nations. And, you know, that should be a real lesson learned for a lot of, a lot of um, these nations uh, is to ensure that they're not going to allow uh, foreign regional policies uh, to come in and penetrate their nations. It's, it's a, it, the, the stakes are just so high, but the Afghan people, my parents are, you know, I was told as a kid, you know, what the positive characteristics were of the Afghan people. And just like so many human beings around the world, we share a common instinct and love of freedom and freedom from government and, you know, so many universal values that America has codified and enshrined. Um, and in Afghanistan, uh, you know, I saw something very different. I saw people who, who were reduced to trying to survive and um, being in the middle of an armed conflict and children, um, going to your point, doctor, being raised, uh, only having experienced violence and war uh, from their birth and through adulthood. Uh-huh. You know, that must, I mean, I presume you um, must have a lot to say or want to accomplish as far as, or, well, have been accomplishing too, but I mean in terms of becoming a congressman, um, in terms of, uh, you know, it, it must disturb you. It certainly disturbs me. Let's start with that. Uh, to see what's happening to Europe. You were talking about how terrorists are invading and what's happening to a country. Um, I mean, I see, and I, I presume that that's what you would say also about Europe, and also there's, that's the threat for the U.S. Terrorists, the radical Islamic terrorist networks are very sophisticated. They cannot be underestimated, and they have very deliberate operations to try to infiltrate as many nations as possible. Um, they've succeeded in many cases. Uh, their, ISIS, for example, is responsible for attacks in uh, you know, dozens of countries at this point. Um, it's not a mystery anymore. We know what their agenda is, and we have to protect our nations. Um, the United States is the greatest nation on Earth. We have to, it's up to us to maintain security for the people um, I cannot accept a United States where we have homeland terrorist attacks taking place or infiltration of our nation taking place. Look, this is not Baghdad. And the, the way that we're going to secure the nation is, first and foremost, if you have sleepy leaders who just don't understand the threat, don't understand uh, anything, they're not connected to any national issue or, or they have no national security experience or background, well, we're going to pretty much get, you know, what we deserve. And that's one of the reasons why I'm running is because my opponent is the perfect caricature of a guy who just has no skin in the game and has no connection to a single national issue in contrast to someone like me. You know, after 9-11, uh, you know, this is a guy who wants to sort of hold himself out as uh, caring about the military, but then he votes for the shutdown, which jeopardized the military, the pay of our active duty service personnel. He was part of the prior administration's military weakening agenda. Uh, second uh, largest veteran homeless population in the nation is San Diego. And my opponent mm. has done absolutely nothing. Uh, he doesn't understand what service members go through. Uh, I'm a captain in the U.S. Army Reserve, in addition to having been a civilian official at the Department of Defense. Um, he's someone who's never seen his economic policies be implemented on a human being. He's never been subjected to any of the policies he and Nancy Pelosi are proposing. There's just no connection to a single national issue. He uh-huh. you know, wants to be a leader on immigration. I'm the son of immigrants. Um, I, I mean, he's just got no connection. There's no credibility there. Uh, and that's one thing that we just have to, I, I really want your, your listeners to, I, I just really need this to sink in because we're at a crossroads right now. And our nation's one of the most, the greatest strategic vulnerabilities our nation has 
is the incompetence of some of our leaders. And when we have people like Scott Peters, my opponent, in Congress, we're going to continue to have errors of judgment, grave ones, like let's go ahead and vote for the Iran deal, as my opponent did, and get a massive amount of money into the hands of the mm-hmm. most effective state sponsor of terrorism <laughs> that has ongoing operations all over the world, and they're very effective. Let's go ahead and just be asleep um, while we have terrorists from, from various networks infiltrating our nation. We are seeing online attacks. Uh, let's go ahead and be asleep while another generation of California's children are going through a failed public education system and ending up jobless um, or, you know, ending up educated for the ones that go to college and jobless with student debt. I mean, it, it's just we have too much at stake now. Um, and uh, and this is this is one thing that is, I think, going to be the few things that can reverse this course. We need new leadership um, in Congress, people who are connected to national issues with skin in the game. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, and certainly from your background, you can appreciate this. I know, um, you know, I've been, I've been uh, doing a lot of interviews, especially uh, now when it's back to school, uh, about my book, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror, talking about how parents and teachers need to have this talk with their kids before they go back to school again. And um, one of the things, not just now, but actually since uh, the book came out earlier this year, one of the things that I'm having to deal with is the adults' uh, denial, like you were talking about before. Um, you know, pe- people are sleeping through this. People don't believe that uh, we are still in danger. Don't believe that 9-11 is still impacting us. I mean, I'm sure you're aware of this, how uh, there, it isn't a coincidence that um, since 9-11, there are so many things that have risen in our society, so many bad things like uh, the obesity epidemic, which is just an obvious one of people eating comfort food, um, drug and alcohol abuse, suicides, uh, all kinds of depression, anxiety, of course, um, all of these things that can be traced back, actually, to their beginnings, their increase, you know, it began increasing after 9-11. And, and yet, people want to think that could never happen again and are in denial themselves about how terrorism is still a incredibly significant threat. And therefore, that's sort of the main reason, one of the main reasons why they have trouble talking about it with their kids. Have you come across that? I, I think, I'm sure. I think you're absolutely right. Um, and and I, I, w- I just want to highlight your point, um, the, the most critical one about what our nation faces, which is it can happen again. This is we have a brilliant, cunning, patient enemy. Um, and some of these networks are resourced and they're committed. They are committed enemies. They're not going anywhere. Uh, they do possess the capabilities and effectiveness to be able to pull off these types of attacks. Uh, and they're going to continue to try. And if we don't keep them on their heels, if we don't keep them on the run, um, some of them will be very aggressively pursuing and plotting homeland attacks. Uh, America does need to continue to just be, stay aware, but we need our leaders to wake up or just get out of the way. Uh, and the threat is, is very much... Uh, still present, and in some ways, radical uh, Islamic terrorist networks have generated um, greater capabilities in some ways while we have tried to degrade them uh, militarily or, or in other ways. But I'll, I'll just give you, I mean, my personal experience, I've, you know, I've been to the uh, detention facility at Bagram uh, several times in Afghanistan where we have detained some of, some, some of the most dangerous people off the battlefield. I've been to uh, Guantanamo Bay. Uh, countless times. I've represented the United States as a counterterrorism official in various countries and Saudi Arabia and um, UAE and Israel. And I understand firsthand what this enemy is capable of. Um, having examined this enemy very closely for a number of years, uh, I'll tell you, doctor, that uh, the population, our, our people, we need to remain vigilant and we have to demand leaders who are not asleep because that's, that's how things happen. That's how bad things happen is when we allow ourselves to have leaders in place, um, some of whom in Congress are trying to take back the majority right now in the House of Representatives, 
and we can't be asleep on that. I mean, they can do it. If, if 24 seats, if we lose 24 seats a cycle, Nancy Pelosi is your Speaker of the House, and um, we're going to have uh, the type of leadership in the House of Representatives that you and I, Doctor, right now are um, are setting forth uh, is is going to be uh, a liability for for the United States in so many ways. Yes, absolutely. Now, um, tell us about what you did in regard to your work um, against the 9-11 mastermind Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. You were involved in the... Um, well, t- t- you, you tell I was, I was extremely lucky to be part of uh, one of the most extraordinary teams of American heroes, uh, the Office of the Chief Prosecutor of Military Commissions in the Department of Defense, um, I was very proud to have a humble support role. I got to work in direct support um, to General Mark Martins, the chief prosecutor of uh, these trials. Um, the, my colleagues were really at the tip of the spear on the, on the trial teams, and I was just really proud to um, have had a, a support role uh, with, this, with this team. Part of the jurisdiction of military commissions uh, involves overseeing or investigating and then um, uh, attaching charges to uh, war crimes uh, is, is kind of the simplest way to put it. These are people who are not uh, privileged combatants, which means they're, they're not ordinary military. These are people who dress up like civilians. They violate the laws of armed conflict. They attack civilians. They um, violate uh, every rule that human beings have really developed over the years in armed conflict to make sure that civilians are not are harmed as, as little as possible in wars. So some of them are um, members of al-Qaeda, and the Guantanamo population includes the alleged mastermind of 9-11, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, and four alleged co-conspirators for 9-11. Um, I had the privilege of making part of my job really understanding how 9-11 happened, um, understanding it uh, through a, a, a very uh, deep and rigorous manner in which our office was going about its, um, its, its prosecution. Uh, and it's really, when I, when I say that our, our enemy is so cunning and brilliant and patient, mm-hmm. it's coming from my experience, having been exposed uh, and, and learning how it happened and, and how patient and how methodical uh, some of the plans of, of our enemies are. Um, but I, I spent time in Guantanamo uh, several weeks at a time, we'd go down there and, um, you know, like I said, I'd be supporting the chief prosecutor and, uh, you know, the team would bring in the alleged 9-11 mastermind, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, and four alleged co-conspirators into a courtroom and uh, were pursuing holding them accountable for the attacks on 9-11 um, and uh, other trials that were included within the jurisdiction of my former office include the alleged mastermind of the USS Cole bombing death penalty trial uh, and then lesser known, perhaps, to the public, but very serious cases, uh, the alleged uh, leader of, operational leader of al-Qaeda uh, in Afghanistan and Pakistan during some very bloody years, uh, a, a, a trial against that, that individual. Mm. And, and then we were responsible for knowing uh, what war crimes are taking place around the world, and so we we're watching closely um, a lot of events uh, at the same time. Here's a question for you out of the blue. Um, you know, I know that the date, uh, 9-11, was chosen. It, it corresponds to some kind of, to some date in the Muslim calendar. Is that correct? But I, my question is, and I've, I've asked people, and no one seems to really, uh, well, everybody kind of has their own idea, but what do you think about, do you think it was a coincidence, besides whatever date it corresponds with, do you think it was a coincidence that they chose 9-11, or do you think that that was on purpose to, um, as a metaphor, with 9-1-1, you know, that, like, America is, is in desperate need of help? You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I mean, I've, like, it's time to call I've, uh, 9-1-1. I've, um, uh, I've, I've understood the, uh, you know, the, the notion that it was, uh, a, a specific day that represented something religious to the um, to the plotters and also the significance of 911. I mean, my my personal sense is, and I I can't I can't really um, I got to be careful what I say because there's an ongoing trial uh, right now. Um, that's uh-huh. uh, my opinion. 
But I, I will just tell you, as a matter of operations, operations come together so intricately and delicately, and there are so many variables involved. I, I would I would think that it would be pretty difficult to try to pin a date on the calendar and hold it um, mm-hmm. with something this complex being planned and um, uh-huh. a lot of variables kind of shifting the dates. I just I'm not I'm not sure. Uh, well, it just seems. I mean, you know, it's such a perfect metaphor. It just seems like somebody somebody was plotting and planning. Aha! We're going to do it on nine eleven. They're going to remember nine one one. They're in desperate straits. They they're in need. This is an emergency. They need um, help from somewhere that isn't going to come. Um, you know, Doctor, I'll, I know that these uh, organizations they do pick um, certain dates to, and part of this is really, and you know, you're this is really within your lane, but. There's a lot of psychological warfare here. It's not just kinetic in nature. Um, taking mm-hmm. down um, some of the or attacking some of the targets that they attack may not necessarily have strategic uh, significance in terms of degrading our, our military capabilities to some severe degree. Um, so then what is it? What, is, what mm-hmm. is the objective? And part of it is this is psychological warfare. And mm-hmm. these networks have shown the ability to change social attitudes, change attitudes in nations, and try to get us to even test our very principles. It's really tempting for us to not necessarily have our self-imposed rules. We, we impose a lot of rules. I mean, as, a, as being a member of the military myself, um, uh, our service members... We have rules of engagement. We follow the law of armed conflict. We follow um, the, the rules of humane treatment when we capture people. We have all these rules that we self-impose. We also respect the framework uh, of the norms of, of the world. And we're being provoked to lose our identity. We're being provoked to question uh, the efficacy at this point of some of our most cherished rules and our traits. That's something that I think is part of the objective. It's, it's can we get the United mm-hmm. States, the greatest nation on earth that's basically been the world's hero for, for so many years, to lose itself in the struggle? Uh, and their, their, their broader goal is to really disrupt world order. They're challenging world order. Mm-hmm. They're trying to bring about a global change. It would be a mistake to think that this is just al-Qaeda versus the U.S., for instance. They have a global strategy. So, um, you know, uh, to close the loop on that, it's psychological warfare is a big component of it. They're trying to get us to live in fear, um, not be methodical in our response, uh, end up in conflicts all over the place, overreact, uh, not really have any direction in our policies, and um, bring about a religious, they're trying to ignite religious warfare. They really want Mm -hmm. to generate the kind of hate between people that will result in this apocalyptic type of um, uh, global conflict situation. And so we we just need to be aware of what they're trying to do. Uh, Of course, we want to prevail and destroy uh, these networks, but we're going to do it in a way where we're going to maintain, we're going to maintain what our nation is about. Um, what global order is, and we're not going to let them provoke us into their objectives. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, now, we don't have very much time left, but um, what what do you think are some of the hardest... I mean, of course, since I live in California, uh, it, it, it has... It has made me, it's such a, it's so frustrating to live here with the governor, Governor Brown, who's just, I think somebody, I think he's past his prime, past his sell-by date, and he's doing all kinds of things that are destroying this state. And um, uh, what, what are some of the things that are you, I mean, so it's hard for a Republican to get elected to dog catcher in California. So what are some of the things that you're up against uh-huh. and how are you trying to, to, diffuse that? Well, my district is, is what's known as a toss-up district, so the voter registration across the political parties is about even, so it's, yeah. um, we can flip the seat. And so my, my seat is one where, where um, we're, you know, we're going to expect to flip it. But I'll tell you what I saw when I came back home to my home state, California, um, that I love so much. Um, like I said, uh, with unfunded liabilities by some estimates, $1.3 trillion in debt, small business exodus, taking jobs, with them, the risk taker and the entrepreneur is basically driven out of our state. 
Um, the least well-off continue to be the least well-off. Our public education system continues to rank among the worst uh, in the nation. And the state of so-called minorities, again, you know, I'm a, I'm a so-called minority. And so I'm, I'm just especially resentful of people like my opponent who uh, tries to be the voice of minorities, but then will continue to advocate for policies that keep people in poverty, keep them believing that they are destined to fail, uh, and just have no real plan to lift up all Americans on the immigration issue, too. I mean, you have Jerry Brown, who I can't tell you how reckless and irresponsible I think someone could be when he states that when we're talking about the National Guard uh, potentially going down to um, uh, uh, essentially play a role in in protecting our our border in in some manner that's going to be lawful within um, their, uh, their, the laws and regulations that apply to them. He says, we're not, you know, the military doesn't exist to, to, to round up, uh, women and children. And just the fact that he would even throw out that kind of an idea, mm-hmm, that our service mm-hmm. members would go down there and do that. I mean, that is not only does he, he know that there's no way in hell that's going to be true. There's, there's going to be nobody mm-hmm. in the chain of command that's going to authorize any mishandling mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. innocent human beings. But listen to listen to how he's inflaming and even turning Californians against our own military that are raising their right hand to defend us and just do their job, you know, within the yeah. within the laws that we have here. I'm I'm running for Congress because we are at a crossroads, and and I, this is this is the really the the short the short summary of it. Yes, we have like a minute, so go ahead. Okay. <laughs> Domestic humanitarian crisis, okay? Veteran, uh, that's, that's what it is. No one wants to call it that. We have way too many homeless veterans, and the situation with their mental health is uh, now a domestic humanitarian crisis. Uh, our public education system continues to fail another generation of America's children. Our economic state is at a crossroads. Our national security, we're $21 trillion in debt. We got to get rid of these uh, do-nothing leaders that are asleep behind the wheel, um, get people in who have skin in the game, and let's get our country, let's keep our country going in the right direction. But thank you, Doctor, okay. so much for your time. You're very welcome. And again, his, uh, his website, if you'd like to read up more about him, um, is electomar.com. Electomar.com. And one thing I want to mention, uh, remind people that you said, and it's so true with all the things you said after, that uh, your experience growing up in a gang-infested neighborhood, um, you said, taught you what these and how malevolent some people can be. And, of course, that works really well with terrorists and other people who have um, negative, who have not just negative, but very dangerous ideas for America. So thank you so so much, Omar, and I wish you, Omar Kadrat, I wish you lots of luck in your race. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 